Well, welcome, and I feel like I'm booming my voice. So, hey, I'm excited that y'all are here. Um, it has been a great uh, um, week for me because we got good news that we are going to be able to rejoin meeting together all of our church in the school in July. Yay, yeah, which means full-on kids ministry and all of that. We're hoping to start with uh, everything, and so I want y'all to be praying for uh, where you're going to serve. Um, specifically, I-, I hate to say pray about being in the kids area. Uh, pray about reasons you shouldn't be in the kids area. That's what I should say right there. But uh, we, d- we are excited because we have a mission that we think God has given us that uh, I'm excited about. And so um, we're going to jump right in uh, to this series we've been going through called uh, The Wanderer. And there's a phrase that, uh, that I like to think about when I think about why am I a Christ follower, why am I a Christian, and that is this, Jesus makes life better, and Jesus makes you better at life. Jesus makes life better, and Jesus makes us better at life. And what I mean by that is, Jesus makes life better knowing that uh, you have hope of eternity, that you have uh, eternal uh, life, that's a, that's, that makes life better. He also makes life better living under a blessing of God, but... There's also this idea that you're growing, that, hey, Joey, could we turn me down a little bit? Uh, that we, uh, there's this idea that you are growing every single day, that you're becoming better at life. Um, when I think about where I was 10 years ago starting this church, uh, most of you would not be following uh, if I'd have stayed that person. But the truth is, is that I grew in my leadership in that time. And in fact, when I think about where I've come from as a pastor, as a, uh, a leader in a church, I'm shocked that, uh, that God allowed me to come this far. Let me tell you a story that happened in 1999. This was uh, like 10 versions of Joel, so you're going to have to uh, go. So you're going to have to forgive me on, uh, when you hear this story. But I was an intern at a little church in East Texas. And I was uh, tasked with driving the boys to camp in this youth group. And I'm driving the boys to camp, and there's the boys' van, which I'm, I'm, in, I'm in charge of, and then there's the girls' van. And uh, the girls' van was driven by another intern, uh, and it also had some sixth graders and their parents, which I forgot about. And as we're going, I, you know, we're joking around saying, hey, we should do this to the girls, we should do this, and by we, them, and I'm letting it go on, okay? And then one of them says, one of the boys in my thing says, hey, Joel, speed up, I'm going to moon them, okay? To which 19-year-old Joel, who's only a few years removed, says, okay, whatever, I dare you, okay? What I should have said in hindsight was, no way, What I should have done in hindsight is not sped up. But what did Joel do? I sped up. I couldn't say. I don't know if he, I mean, I didn't know at the time what he was doing. But apparently he was going to follow through on his command. And I just remember as I slowed back down to see the reaction, I remember the sixth grade girls and their parents' eyes this big. And and that's exactly the look that, that they were giving me right there. And as I drove for the rest, I had another hour or two that I had to drive, and this was before cell phones and all that stuff, so in my mind, I'm just like, 
Well, that was a fun call to ministry. That was a fun, okay, I hope that uh, the local gas station or whatever is hiring because my lot in life is going to surely head in a different direction after this. And then, so when I got there, I I got a talking to, well-deserved, so to speak. But as I look back on that and many other instances where my leadership lacked judgment, it lacked maturity, I can tell you right now that uh, I still make a ton of mistakes But my mistakes are a little more mature now than they were back then. And what astounds me, though, is how much grace God gave me to allow me not only to stay in ministry, but to still give me blessings in life and and where I can look around and say, even though sometimes it's hard and challenging, I look around and there are blessings all over my life. I look at our church and, I mean, we've been 15, going to be 16 or 17 months without fully meeting the other, but yet God is still bringing us new faces. We've added members. We've, he's blessed our church, and it's been despite me, I, I, and it's just astounding how much I feel unworthy sometimes, but yet blessed by God. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that almost everyone I talk to, when they think about their relationship with God, no one thinks to themselves, Hey, I'm I'm the next Moses. I'm the next Abraham. I'm the next I'm the next man. God just is lucky I'm I'm here. Everyone I talk to has this feeling of, man, I don't want to be Moses. I don't want to need to be the head. I just want to sneak in the back door of heaven. I just want to know that I'm there. And and we kind of look sometimes at the blessings on our life. And a lot of times we focus on the hard times. But when we really look and see, man, God has blessed me. He's protected me. He's protected me a dozen times over in my job or my family. And even though there have been hard times, I've got these promises of good times. And a lot of times these things happen. And we just get this feeling of, do I deserve this? How did God must not have known fully what I've done. Or surely he wouldn't allow me to taste any blessings. Because the truth is we all have this mindset that's been put into us. And over generations of going to church and being told, you got to do this, this, and this, and being good enough. And, and so it's even growing up in, in well-meaning households where maybe our grandmother went to church and she was expecting a lot of us, but she would say things or, or, or our, our fathers would say things like, you know what, God's going to be mad at you or Jesus is going to be, you know, and they would just make these statements that they didn't realize, but we, we begin to live as if, man, why would God bless us? We are constantly, constantly screwing up. That's why I'm excited about going through this series on the life of Abraham. We're calling it The Wanderer. Because here's a guy who last week when we introed this, if this is your first week of hearing this, it's a great week to start because you're, you're one week in, I'm going to recap it, and you're right ready to go. Let, here's this guy who was a pagan. Understand this. He was not a Jewish man. He was not a Christ follower. He was not any, I mean, he is a pagan guy going to pagan temples. And out of the blue, God calls him and says, you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And he converts his entire religion. He says, I've never heard of this God, but this is the God that created everything. I'm going to go. And he starts to go. But like we said last week, he had some doubts. And you can see it because he didn't fully go. He kind of went, but he stopped and, and he took some extra influences. But last week we ended at Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. And I'm going to reread that real quick. It says, from there he went on. He was in a place called Shechem. He's basically in the, in the Middle East. He's in Israel, uh, that, that area, what we would consider now the West Bank. 
And he's going south. And all of this is considered the promised land or the land of Canaan. That's, that's who was there before Abram got there. And is in there right now uh, when Abram's uh, coming into it is, is the Canaanites. But this is who God promised. This is the promised land, the, the land of Canaan. And so he's going. Uh, God just said, go to the land of Canaan. This is going to be where I'm going to bless you. And so he goes there eventually. And he's got doubts. He's not sure if God's telling him this or that. But he goes in and he's in the heart of it in Shechem. And then from Shechem, he goes down. It says this. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Y'all say Bethel. Bethel. I want you to remember that city. It's going to come back. And on Bethel and west of Ai, he put a, uh, on the east, he, there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called on the name of the Lord. So he's in Canaan, and he builds an offer, altar. That's where we ended last week. And even though he had some doubts, he's right where God wants him. Now, I want to show you, though, when we look at the life of Abram, what I want you to see is we read the Old Testament sometimes as if, well, it would have been easy back then because God has this booming voice, was just telling him what to do, this and that. And that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is Abram's, uh, and Abram and Abraham, like we said last week, same guy. He's, he's going to be Abraham eventually. He's Abram right now. But understand that he's having to discern the call of God. He's not hearing, I don't think, an audible voice. It is the same of you and, as you and I today, having to discern. And so he's right where he's supposed to be, smack dab in the middle of the promised land. And then verse 9 says this. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, the Negev is a desert in the southern part of Israel, the southern part of Canaan. But what's interesting is, is the West Bank and where he is right now, Shechem and Ai and Bethel, that is a lush place. There are um, mountains. It is beautiful. There are trees. There are, it is a beautiful place. You can grow uh, any type of, of, of wine and grapes and fruits and all this stuff you can grow uh, there. But when you get to the Negev, it is a desert. It is a wilderness. It is a hard place to live. And I think there's some symbols here. I almost made up a word there, symbology. But uh, um, there, there are some, some things we can at least recognize that as this man's discerning where God is calling him, he's right where he needs to be, but he's also right in the heart of a place that people that don't agree with him, because there are Canaanites around wondering, why is this guy telling us that a new God has called him, a God that's the creator of our God, that's better than our God? Why is he here? And, and so rather than staying where all these people are challenging him and he feels, man, God, you called me here, but I don't know if you can keep me here. And so he keeps moving and he begins to go to the border of where God called him to go. He begins to get close to Egypt, which is the southern, southern part. You have Israel and then, or, or the land of Canaan and right south is Egypt, okay? And so he goes down into the Negev and all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, in verse 10 it says this. Now there was a famine in the land. The, the Hebrew text says there was a hunger in the land. Now, Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the hunger was so severe. And so what I want you to see is that we don't even know if this was actually a famine. It could have been because he came from this place called uh, um, Babylon that was lush and you had merchants, you could buy whatever you want. And then he went into the land of Canaan following God's call and he had everything. He, could, he knew how to grow crops. He knew how to sustain himself. But he gets to a place that, that no one's around. It's safer but all of a sudden, 
it's, there's hunger. I don't know how to grow crops in a desert. I don't know how to sustain my herds in a desert. And so it could have just been that he, his distrust uh, that God was going to sustain him where God had called him had pushed him to a place where now he's thinking to himself, man, i got to figure this out. I don't know if I'm going to be able to provide for my family. I don't know if I'm going to be able to provide uh, for myself and my herds and, and, and keep this going. And so he makes the decision to go into Egypt. Now, this, one of the things I want you to see, and I said this last week, is there's this, this idea of spaced repetition. Y'all say that, spaced repetition. Spaced repetition. Now, what spaced repetition means is that the themes we see in the Old Testament are going to come around and around and around. You're going to see today, um, the, there is going to be a prediction of the Exodus, okay? We're going to see a mini story of the Exodus in this story. But you can also see For the first time, we see somebody who is worried about their livelihood, worried about themselves, and so they're going to go to Egypt, okay? And this is going to happen over and over again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're going to see this, that any time an invading army or somebody would come in, uh, Israel would go to Egypt and say, Egypt, can you help us out? Okay, and and this is something that is going to, to plague them. And so Abraham, or Abram says, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know I'm called to stay in Canaan. But man, i got to figure out a plan. And so Abram goes on into Egypt, and he's trying to, to, to figure this out. Finagle, how can, I, how can I do this? I'll just go temporarily. Whatever he was thinking, he goes into Egypt, a foreign land where he is not supposed to be. God did not call him to go to Egypt. It says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, uh, I know what a beautiful woman you are. See, he's buttering her up. Oh, you're a beautiful, beautiful woman. Uh, and by the way, this story, Spaced Repetition, it happens two more times, okay, if you can believe that. This story that we're about to hear happens two more times. Not once. Once you hear this story, you're going to be like, wait, that never happened again. Yeah, it happens two more times. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, and they will let you live. So say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and that my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was, very, uh, was a very beautiful woman. Okay, and so right now his plan is he's got a wife, and in that time, if somebody was married and you wanted their wife, you couldn't just, you know, you had to kill the man and you would take, and it wasn't good there, it wasn't acceptable there, but if you're in a dangerous place, hey, that can happen, especially if you're a foreigner coming into this land. So he, he makes a plan. How am I going to work this out? And his plan isn't as bad as it sounds. It's pretty bad. But here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, if I'm the brother, I'm in charge of my sister. I'm her protector. So if somebody wants to come and uh, take my sister, they have to come through me. They would ask me for a blessing. So rather than just killing me and taking her, we would have time to figure out a plan. They would come and ask me. They would pay me a dowry. They're going to they're gonna actually try to butter me up, and, and we will have a time. In fact, we're going to see this plays out. There's going to be a, a nine-month kind of waiting period anytime you take on a foreign wife in Egypt because they want to make sure, nine months, they want to make sure she's not pregnant, okay? And so there's kind of this waiting period before she uh, would actually consummate any marriage, okay? And so you have this uh, dynamic that he's, you can tell, hey, I'll go to Egypt, I'll tell you what, I'll be the brother, and, and, and he's just trying to figure this out. Unless, of course, the person who sees your sister is Pharaoh. Pharaoh does not have to wait on 
the brother. Pharaoh can do whatever. He is the king. And as they say, it's good to be the king. You can do whatever you want as the king. And so, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into the palace. She, he treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male, female, donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Okay, and so all of a sudden, Abram is getting unwarranted grace. Now remember that Abram leaves uh, his, his, where he was in Babylon at the beginning of the story because God just randomly, uh, unwarranted, said, Hey, Abram, I'm going to make you a promise, and I will not break this promise no matter what. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And now he's gone somewhere he's not supposed to be, but he's getting cattle and camel. Who wouldn't like a free camel? That seems like a sweet deal. He gets, he's, getting, he's getting rich, and his wife has been taken into the harem. And understand, she is being put in uh, with all of the concubines, with all of the, the court of uh, Pharaoh, but she's got this nine-month waiting period of grace. But meanwhile, she knows her husband is out hobnobbing and he's getting just, he's living it up in the four seasons and all of that while she's stuck in this place waiting and not knowing what's going to happen when this comes down, okay? And so with all of this going on, God, had, God has made this promise, Abram, wherever you go, I'm going to be there. But as you can see, we like to think of, of these, uh, these forefathers, these, these people in the Old Testament. Man, they're just great people. That's what we put in our mind. But you begin to see how they're thinking. You can see doubts all over it. You can see self-reliance. All, oh, oh i, I got to figure this out. And all of a sudden, you, they find themselves in this period where who knows what's about to happen. Verse 17 says, But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and says, what have you done to me? He knows something's wrong because the only person not sick in his entire court is who? Sarah, the wife. He knows there's something going on because she didn't get sick, but there's a plague hitting everyone else. Why, did you not, why, did you tell me she was, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her as my wife? He says, now then, take your wife. Here is your wife. Take her and let her go. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to, and his men and sent them away and his wife with everything they have. And I'm going to read just a little bit of 13 so you can see the kind of where it goes from here. So Abram went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything. He, now he is rich because he went in, got blessed by Pharaoh, even though he made an awful decision, uh, several awful decisions, uh, especially from Sarah's uh, point of view. It says, everything they have in Lot, who's his nephew, go, uh, they go into the Negev. He became, had become very wealthy in livestock, silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from that place back to Bethel. Okay, And so to the place uh, between Ai and Bethel, where his tent had been earlier and where he first built an altar, there Abram called out to the name of the Lord. So he's right smack dab where he started. He's right where he should have stayed the whole time. Only he's much wealthier, he's been blessed, but yet every bit of his blessing came because he did not trust God, he doubted God, and he went his own way. Now you may say, man, I would love to be blessed by Abraham, but I want to talk about this just a little bit. First of all, I do want to point out this foreshadowing. He goes into Egypt. There was a famine, in fact. It goes into Egypt, driven into Egypt because of a famine. Eventually plagues hit it. And uh, because God is going to move uh, him out, wants to move him back into the promised land. 
But So understand there's this little foreshadowing of what's going to happen, and this is going to be something that happens in the Old Testament. God, God will keep telling us stories until we kind of get them in our mind. But this time, though, instead of Pharaoh being struck dead, Pharaoh's the one that's kind of on the right. He's the one saying, listen, why didn't you tell us all this? Why, didn't you, why did you do this? And, and what I want you to see from this story is, is several things about Abram that can tell us about how we follow God. We, last week we talked about wandering where we're anchored to God, being anchored to God. And I, I painted a picture in the first part where Abram was this man who was anchored to God so much that he was free to wander in the promised land everywhere he wanted to go. You know, when you think about the will of God, I think Abram, Abram is a good picture because he's so anchored to God at many times in his life that he could take this job or that job. He could go here or there and God will bless him. But there are some times where he doubts and he goes in the wrong direction. And I think we can learn some things. So I want to, I want to show you a few things we can learn from this story. First thing is this. Every follower faces famines, okay? Every follower of God faces famines. And we need to understand this, that uh, it is not an easier call to follow God. And, and often we think, oh, I'm going to follow God because i got to get my life right. It might get your life right, but it's not going to make your life easier. And, and this is something we need to understand. And, and this is a test that we need to know. And the test is not for God. God knew Abraham's decision or Abram's decision way before Abram did. What this showed Abram is that, hey, when, when the famine comes, when times get tough, I'm the type of guy that, that will try to go my own way. I'm the type of guy that will not trust God. Because before this, he had built two altars coming into the promised land, in the promised land. You know how many altars it says he built in Egypt? Zero. So when he's in the promised land and things are going well, he's praising God. He is, he is building altars. But as soon as he hit that famine, he quit building the altars. He quit having a place where he could meet with God. And he just, he began to think on his own. So one of the things that when we face a famine, we need to understand is that this is a test. And the test isn't for God. The test is for us to see how do we react when times get tough. I will tell you, after watching myself go through uh, many famines or many tests, I know that for me, I have the, one of the same weaknesses as Abram. I, I will rely on myself. I will run to Egypt. In fact, anytime something comes my way, my reaction is often just like, like Abram's, is to, to develop a plan. Okay, here's how we can get through this. Here's how I can do this. And, and instead of running to God and hearing and listening, my, my default sometimes is to run to Egypt. This is what the prophet Isaiah said in verse 31 of, or in verse 1 of uh, Isaiah 31. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of, e of Israel or consult the Lord. You may not have a lot of horses, but you probably have enough money that sometimes when you have a problem, you either go to your resources and you think, How can I handle this? But one of the things that this is going to be teaching Abram, because you're going to see in his life, he's going to begin to react to famines way different at the end of his life than he does in the beginning. You're going to begin to see he doesn't always run to Egypt like he did because he learned some of these lessons. It's real easy for me, I will tell you, to if something comes our way in this church or wherever, and me to just start, hey, let's sit down, let's make the plan. Sit down and make the plan. Whereas a lot of times what instead I should be doing is, you know what, let's wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Let's take some time to pray, maybe even fast, and let's decide and let's see what is God telling us. And then when we hear what he's telling us, let's make a strategy, let's make the plan and go where God is calling us. 
One of the reasons I believe that Abram was called in the first place is because he was listening to the Lord. Why did God give him this problem and not some other random guy in Babylon? I think most of them were probably like us, real busy. They were probably doing this and that, good stuff but not great stuff, and they never took the time to listen. But he took the time and he says, listen, in a famine, I'm not always going to run to Egypt. What should he have done? He should have, first of all, sought out God's deliverance. Where is God calling me to be? The next thing I want you to say is that every escape has a lie. Every time you go to self-reliance, every time you try to escape or say, you know what, justify why you're making this decision that is not what God is calling you to, there is always a lie built into that. And this is something uh, that, that anytime we, I, I hear this so much. Now, you got to understand something that you're going to learn later on in the story about Abram. His wife is also his half-sister, okay? You need to, to know it's not presented to us yet, but when he says, in other words, they have the same, uh, uh, different dads, but uh, the same mother, okay? And, and so one of the things you need to understand is this is a half-truth that he tells Pharaoh, okay? Y'all ever good at half-truths? Like, it's not a full lie, or maybe you didn't tell the whole truth, you just told the part of the truth that made sense at the time. He's finagling this, but he's not telling a full lie here. He is, he is using this, and in his mind, he's justifying it. Man, it's great that she's my half-sister and my, my wife because she can be whichever one I need her to be at the time. And she's finagling, he's finagling this, this for her. And what I want you to see is almost every uh, one of the great joys of being a pastor is I have the same conversations with some people all the time. And, and, and I'll begin to almost know where this is going. I'll have, uh, and I, I've done these before when I, uh, at times in my life too. There, there's always a reason why I can't forgive somebody, okay? I, I'm in a different situation. There's a reason, and, and it, every time we try to make our own way, there's always this, this excuse that contains a lie. So there's a reason that I can't forgive that. Everyone else should forgive their enemies. There's, there's another reason I can't, and, and it always contains a lot. There's a reason I can't be generous right now. I'm in a special circumstance. Y'all need to be real generous, okay? Y'all need to be giving your time and your money and all that and just being generous. Me right now, I'm in a special circumstance, okay? And, and, so, and, and I'll hear this over and over again. Somebody will, there's always this little reason why it doesn't apply to somebody, but there's always a reason why I can't, fulfill our, you know, what God is calling me right now. You should. Everyone else should. But it, it always lends. There's, a, there's a, a lady that calls our church about every three months, okay? She's always asked the same thing. She wants us to pay her rent, and she's always in a hotel, an extended stay hotel. And there's always a different story about why she can't go to anybody else in the world that were her last shot, okay? And I helped, we helped her out the first, uh, the first couple of times. This has been going on for years. But now, every time she calls, she forgets, by the way, that she has called us. And so every few months, it's like she has an amnesia. She calls, and I know exactly who she is. She doesn't remember she's ever talked to me, even though we've talked 12 14 times. And I'll always say, why don't you come to our church? Why don't you join our family? Why don't you let us care for you? Um, but we can't just be mailing out checks to everyone who needs rent paid. And she'll always come up with all of these reasons about why it's different for her, that, this is, that she's this unique case, that the Bible, if you read the real fine print somewhere in the Bible, it probably has her name of, of why she can't join a church and she can't invest. She has nothing to invest. Uh, she would if she could, but she can't. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people give me excuses thinking they're justified. 
and some of them are ridiculous. I had somebody that attended our church, wasn't a member, that said they drive better drunk because they're more uh, alert. And so they were justifying the fact that alcohol is a good thing for them. I was trying to convince them it was not, and that it was, there was a reason, though, for them, listen, this is how they function. I've had more than once, I've heard somebody try to convince me that pornography was saving their marriage. Let me just tell you, it is not. It might be delaying some hard conversations. It might be some delaying some things that would fix your marriage. But it is not helping. But there's always this, well, listen, you know, this is what's saving my marriage. I would have, we would have split a long time ago if not for this. Every time we try to justify and make an escape, there is a lie in it. And we need to understand that. The, the big one, I think, is, you know, Jesus tells us to forgive our enemies. But every time somebody is hurt or wounded, and especially if it's somebody in the church or, or somebody really close, I will always be given reasons of, listen, there's a reason I can't forgive them this time. It's a special reason. And listen, Jesus wasn't talking about my reason. He was talking about there's always this lie that we try to bring anytime we try to make an escape. What Abram should have done is he should have admitted to everyone, hey, I screwed up. I've done something wrong, and they should have sought repentance. We call this repenting. We should have admitted that he was wrong and then gone to the Lord and said, Lord, I have sinned. Please protect me, Lord. I I I want to be right with you, and then listen for the Lord. That is always what we do anytime we we are in a place where we know we've gone wrong. I should have never given my wife to Pharaoh, okay? That seems obvious to us, but Abram never had this moment where we see just this repentance. All right, and, and then think of all the things that lead to this. He has this failure. He should have repented. Every, this is the, the next thing, every failure has a Sarah. I think we need to understand this, that every time we go our own way and we try to, to, to go follow our own way instead of obeying God, there's always going to be a Sarah. That is, there's always going to be somebody who's trying to follow God or trying to do the right thing, and she's going to be a victim of your bad decision. Uh, Chuck Swindoll has this great line. He says, we often sin in secret, but we never sin alone. And what he's saying is, listen, there are always people who are affected when we decide to sin or go without God. Even if, they, if, if we never know, if we decide, hey, I'm going to try to save my marriage with pornography and we go with a lie like that, there is somebody, your wife, your kids will be affected by a decision like that, even if they never know about it. And one of the things we see about Sarah is that there are, it is doing harm because it's painting a picture of how somebody called by God follows God. Now, all of a sudden, this man who she was following into a country she had never been in, and she was looking at him as that's the type of guy who will go where God calls, and, and, and she's raising him up, on, and this is a dangerous thing to do, but she, he, she's probably looking at him as Abram's on this pedestal. He talks to God. He listens to God. He's, he's got us this far, and God seems to be blessing. And now, all of a sudden, her picture of what do we do in a famine, what do we do when it gets hard? Man, you try to save your own neck because she saw her husband try to save his own neck at her expense. And now she's sitting there uh, maybe about to be violated and going through some horrible circumstances while her husband is being blessed. All because what she saw is, man, when it gets godly people, when they get when it gets tough, you can't rely on God in the tough times. You rely on him in the good times. And that's the the picture that's painted. 
One of the things we've got to understand when we follow God, when we're trying to anchor ourselves to God, is when we get in these famines and we begin to go self-reliant and say, I'm going to go down to Egypt, I'm going to go my own way, somebody is going to pay for that. And inside the church, your kids or your family and friends that are maybe new to the church and trying to say, what is church all about? They see a a, a slanted or, or an incorrect picture of what God is really like because we abandon our faith. We say, you know what, i got to take care of this on our own. I think of it this way. It's important for us to show our work. You know, when you're in uh, school, how many of y'all hated that, show your work? Why don't I have to show my, I I know the answer. It's important for us, not just to pray for our kids, to pray with our kids. Not just to, to pray for your coworkers, but pray with them. Let them know, hey, let's, this is how Christ followers rely on God. Let's pray together. I had this this week, I had a man say, we're in a tough situation, having a pretty difficult conversation, uh, and nobody had done anything wrong, he just was looking for discernment, and my reaction was, I'll pray for you, that's what I said, that's what I first said, and then I stopped myself and I said, no, 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 let's pray right now, let me pray right now, because he knows I'm a pastor, so he knows I'm supposed to represent what a godly person would do, and so I know, we need to pray right now, let me show you right now how we respond, and so we pray at that moment. Show your work. Sometimes that's the most important thing. So we're going to admit our sin whenever we're, we're going the wrong way. And we need to understand that we need to follow God together with the Sarahs in our life, the people that, that are looking to us, our kids or our coworkers or our friends that are looking to us. What does a Christian do? It matters what we do in times of famines. The next thing I want you to see is every failure has a Pharaoh, Okay. Sarah was inside the church, so to speak. She was inside the family. She was looking at it. She already knew Abraham was a godly man. She she believed this. Pharaoh's on the outside. He's worshiping his own gods. He's doing his own thing. He doesn't think a thing about Abram other than he has a pretty wife, who, by the way, she's like 65 or 70, so she must have been really pretty, okay? I'm just kidding. That's wrong. I should not have said that. You see, y'all got to forgive me, okay? I don't know how to get my way out of that. I don't. I don't know what I should say about that. I should move on. That is an awful thing to say. That is why God's grace that y'all listen to this at all. Um, and if you turned off your TV, I forgive you. You should have done it probably. Um, but ever, there's always somebody outside the faith that is watching this. And, and you think about what, the, what Pharaoh is thinking about when uh, he sees all this going on. You, you told me it was your sister. What are you doing? That, that's the, why would you do that when it was your wife? And now you've brought, brought curses on me. And now you've brought this plague. Why would you do this to me? Do you think that Pharaoh was more likely to follow Yahweh, Abram's God, after his encounter with Abram? No. In fact, all he wanted was Yahweh and Abram and everybody in this situation to get as far away and never come back ever, ever again. One of the things we need to understand when we have decisions in our life or hard times in our life and we're tempted to say, you know what, I'll figure this out and it may hurt a few people, it may, but I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. We've got to understand that there is somebody who's hearing about God for the first time. Maybe they've got an idea of, okay, I know what church is about, but it's not relevant to them. And for the first time, somebody is in their life and they get to see, how does this person react? How do, that has this God that created the universe and, and, and can protect them. How do they react? And instead of seeing faith, he saw fear and he saw somebody who's going to sell his own wife out in order to take care of his own neck. Every failure has a Pharaoh, somebody that's looking 
at how we respond. And this is the last one. I want you to see every failure can find forgiveness. Even in the midst of this, the promise to Abram continues. Even in the midst of this, God is going to forgive Abram and he's going to continue to bless him. At no point did he disqualify himself from the promises of God. And this is what we've got to understand about God. Because here's what I know. We have forgiveness because we've sinned. If we didn't sin, we would not need forgiveness. This is what Paul says about following Jesus. He says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is what Jesus' best friend John said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we are in Christ, when we are following Christ, we do not walk around saying, man, why is God doing this for me? We may feel it for a little bit, but then we know, I know why he's doing this. Because I am in Christ, I am in the family. Part of what I see, the, the vision of this church, the purpose of this church, is that we at Connection Point are trying to undo generations of bad theology where we have, have been taught, you know what, I've got to be good enough for God, I've got to do the right things, and if I do the right things, then God will like me. And instead, what we say here is we say it's relationship over religion. What we see is that we are in the family of God. Abram was in the family of God, and you can't sin your way out of a family. And how many of us in here have tried? How many of us in here know people that have tried? But when you are in a family, you can't sin your way out of a family. And the way that God looks at it, he even uses the language, we were adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God. That's the language we have when we follow Christ. So I want us to understand, not only is there forgiveness, but our whole picture of what we see in this story of how God loves us is not based on, did we do exactly what God told us to do? Were we good enough? Instead, it is this picture of, of a family. And sometimes we get disciplined, sometimes we face our consequences, but it's always for our good. If you see me discipline my son, sons or my daughter, you would say, man, what a good father. You know, hopefully I'm disciplining them right. But yet anytime we're going through something, we know it was a consequence of our sins. And we know that this is going to make us go different. We never say, thank you, God. Thanks for the consequences. Thank you, God, for putting. Okay. But when you're in a family, you know, hey, he's doing this because he loves me. And I may not like it, but at least I know this isn't an evil deed God is doing. He, this is a blessing God is giving me. And I think about just the fact that God called Abram even when he knew he's going to run to Egypt multiple times. Even when he knew he's going to doubt me at almost every turn, but, but I can still use him and bless him into the promised land. If there's anything I can leave us with with this message, is I want to remember, you are always going to face famines and you are going to fail many of the tests in your life. But God is not up there thinking, well, I thought he was going to make it. I thought she was going to make it. But man, she's gone. Instead, we see a God who will bless us even when he knew we were already going to sin. In Christ, there is the forgiveness of sins. When we are in Christ, we are in the family of God, and you can't sin your way out of a family. We can wander, but if we are anchored to God, if you can hear this one idea of this series, when we are anchored to God, we are in the family of God, even when we're not going the same path of everyone else, even when we're going through struggles and famines. Jesus makes life better and makes us better. At life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this picture of our lives that we see through the life of Abram. Lord, how many of us right now in this place 
If we were to look, we would think, I don't know why God has blessed me. I don't know why that I'm even still here. I don't deserve this, surely. But Lord, when we look at the promises you've given us, when we look at, at all the things you've said that you would do on our behalf, they didn't come with conditions. They simply came with this relationship. So Lord, my hope and prayer this week and this, this uh, afternoon even is that we'll spend some time just considering how great you are to us, how faithful you are to the promises, how much hope you give us in the future. And it's always there for us. It's not just when we're good. It's not just when we're doing the right things. It's because we have this relationship with a Father in heaven who loves us. Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.